0: Sex researchers say that men are very rigid and specific about who they become aroused by, who they want to have sex with, and who they fall in love with. By contrast, women apparently have less directed sex drives, and that is one reason women may be more open to same-sex relations. Well, we're going to find out if there is any truth to that tonight on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making relationships the best they can be. And we're going to find out because I am more than excited to have the nationally syndicated sex advice columnist, multiple book author, the notable and preeminent guru of sex, Dan Savage himself, author of Savage Love, host of Savage Love cast, co-creator with his husband, Terry Miller, of the It Gets Better project to help prevent suicide amongst LGBTQ youth, and his latest book, American Savage. Dan Savage joins me on the line tonight, right out of the gates. Hello, Dan. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? I'm
0: great, thanks. Thanks for joining me. I, I scared the pants off you by <laughs> a few minutes ago, thinking that uh, it was going to be 11 p.m., but I thought you were on the East Coast. But you're right here on the West Coast with us, and, and you're going to be coming up to Vancouver on October 4th to right. do your... Uh, yeah, what?
1: doing the northwest the first uh, Northwest Podcast Festival that... on October 4th at the Vogue Theatre at 2 o'clock, and people should come. The live taping podcasts are always a blast.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to be there. I look forward to it. Tickets are at com. And Dr. Lori Brado is going to be join, joining you as well. Another preeminent sex researcher we have here in Vancouver.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I've had Lori on the show before. I'm a big fan of her work, um, but I've never actually met her. And so to actually meet her and get to interview her on stage, um, we're bringing up Rachel Lark, who's a terrific singer-songwriter from... San Francisco. Whenever we do the live tapings of the Savage Lovecast, I have a musical guest. A few years ago, that guest was Garfunkel and Oates. Really? Now they have a TV show, so they uh, they got the Savage Lovecast bump, and it really helped them.
0: Wow. Uh, I <laughs> and Rachel
1: Lark is a name you're going to be hearing a lot in the future, I predict, too.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I sing on the show here occasionally, so I'd like to apply for that. <laughs> I, I, I get pulled off the mic by, <laughs> anyway, uh, not known for my pipes. But anyway, uh, it's it's great to have you on. I'm thrilled uh, that you're here. I did put out a little call for um, questions for you, and uh, so I hope you don't mind if I uh, ask you one of them. A little bit later in the program, we're going to be talking about Vasigel, which is an injectable contraception method for men. I just was wondering what you th- what your thoughts are on putting contraception in the hands of men, uh, which, which after so many years, exclusivity of that has been the responsibility of women.
1: Well, you know, guys are the... Well, do, do you really trust guys, uh, particularly if you're having one-night stands, particularly if you're using contraception because you're just hooking up, uh, to, to, to have that power? Um, you know, I, I think you should double-bag it. Like, <laughs> for a woman to be on uh, hormonal contraceptives and for a guy also to wear a condom, because you know all birth control methods have their failure rates, and all people have their trustability rates, right? That's um, true. There are people out there who claim to be on hormonal birth control pills—you know, women when they're not,
0: absolutely there are men who
1: claim that they're using a condom and remove it mid-act. Do uh, you really want to trust a guy who says it's okay? I, I'm taking the male pill. Uh,
0: yes, um, yes. I've had know. the injection into my vast deference. <laughs>
1: yeah. So. Uh, You know, trust your mother but cut the cards, or as Ronald Reagan said about the Soviets back then. That's how old I am. (laughs) Remember this trust but verify?
0: Exactly. Um, If you were there
1: to see the shot administered, uh, you're still going to want to bust out the condoms.
0: That's right. And also, women think that sometimes a baby will solve all the problems, or if they have a baby, they'll be able to land that man. You know, that's not an uncommon thought as well.
1: True. And also, remember, guys are often reluctant, even when they're past their child, you know, they don't want any more children you know, even if they're divorced and they're remarried and they still don't want more children, a lot of men are really reluctant to get vasectomies, which are one of the most effective forms of birth control because they like to think that even if they're not trying to get somebody pregnant, that they're seeing this powerful baby-making magic and has these swimmers in it. And so there's a lot of guys who, you know, even if birth control is available to them, they're not going to want to use it because their, you know, superpower cum and how the magic can make is a part of the erotic sort of script for them and to knock that out to take that away we've already seen with the sections, a lot of guys aren't going to volunteer for that a lot of guys are really invested in this thought that their cum is magic and if you take the magic out of the cum checks will is interesting for them so i you know if i were a woman and i'm a man i sleep with men i know what men are like if i were a woman
0: <laughs> i'd sleep I with men too to i know what they're like <laughs>
1: I would keep using birth control myself. I wouldn't trust the dude.
0: Uh, Interesting. Um, Yes, and, you know, that is also so tied to their sexual desire as well and and maybe related to some of the biological differences in sex drive between men and women.
1: Yes, and also male insecurity. Like, women can take hormonal birth control and not ovulate and not feel less feminine or less like women during the sex act or less aroused. But if you tell guys you're going to take this pill and you're not going to make a bunch of... Uh, sperm cells—you're not going to have those swimmers in there. They're going to feel less masculine. You know, male identity, male sexuality, particularly heterosexual male identity, is so much more fragile than gay identity than, than 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 women or than dykes. It's really kind of sad because a lot of male, you know, male heterosexuality is kind of a bundle of two negatives. You I mean if you're not a girl and you're not a, a gay dude. Um, and there aren't a lot of positives in there except maybe you—you know—could make a baby if the, the settings were all correct. Uh, and I just think it's a real problem. I think a lot of guys are not going to be able to clear that hurdle when it comes to um, to using male birth control, but birth control for men, um, because that, that male sense of virility is so paradoxically fragile considering how much power men wield.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I have another email here from... Um Uh, the black cat anyway I'm in the long-term relationship I love my partner of ten years but the sex has gone down the tubes I'm actually not that aroused by my partner any longer but for family and financial reasons do not want to leave but would like to stray what do you think sincerely the black cat
1: (laughs) I think that's really common Um, a lot of people out there are in your shoes Uh, long-term relationships those bonds of intimacy are kind of the enemy of desire You know, when you think back to when you first met your partner and you were just dying to get with them, dying to sleep with them, you didn't know much about them. They were a mystery to you, and there were risks uh, that were built in, and you sort of had to clear hurdles. You had to fight to get into their pants in a way. Um, And now that's all gone, all that mystery and all that danger and those hurdles. And unless you recreate those hurdles artificially with your partner, uh, you're going to stray. Um, and I'm not necessarily the enemy of strain. Sometimes I think it's better to do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane um, or to renegotiate uh, your commitment and perhaps you're both you to acknowledge that uh, what we have, the intimacy, the partnership, the love, the security is great, but the variety or the passion or the you know the crazy sex, we don't have that anymore. Can we recreate that with each other or can we have that with other people and keep what's great about us? Um That's the kind of talk you have to have with your partner where you are going to stray in a potentially explosive and negative way because it is my experience that cheaters get caught.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mostly, don't they? Um, (laughs) But the renegotiation, I think that's a bit, uh, it's a great idea and a little bit more common these days, especially given the length of time that people are living and the length of the relationships uh, for people and the type of society we're in
1: a hundred years ago, you could look at your partner and think, I'm bored with you, and and then think, yeah, in the next blue epidemic, I'll be free of you. Exactly. Um, And you can't really think that anymore. Um, And, you know, people sabotage their relationships, long-term, committed, really decent, loving relationships, because they want a new experience. They want some strange, as kids used to say about 20 years ago, they want a little strange. And I think we need to figure out a way that you can have your relationship, have what's great about it, have the commitment, the intimacy, uh, the longevity. And also have some passion around the edges. Whether that means you're really honest with each other, that when the you know passion drains away, you're going to do what it takes to reignite it, um, or you're going to have an open relationship, or you're going to have some three ways together, or you're going to have some sexual adventures together, um, because you, you your body, your your, your uh, you know your junk, um, your erotic imagination is trained to seek those things out. And if you have to sabotage your loving, committed relationship to go get those things, you will. So if you want your relationship to last, you guys need to have really radical, honest conversations about, um, you know, what's permissible, what's impermissible, and and what you need to be happy and what your partner needs to be happy and whether you guys can come to some sort of terms about uh, ethical monogamy. And and that's what it
0: takes. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are fearful to have that conversation because, as this person states in in his or her email, um, that... uh, You know, she does not want to leave the relationship because of financial reasons. And today, given the price of houses and the price of life and two dual-income families, um, it is difficult to actually leave and cut all of that in half. And so it's even difficult to even commence that uh, conversation, that that dialogue.
1: It can seem really risky. One of the interesting stats that popped up during the great economic recession, the economic crisis of 2008, uh, was divorce rates plummeted because people couldn't afford to break up. Absolutely. Um and you know, there are a lot of people in really great loving relationships. There are also people in really dysfunctional relationships, but uh ending them would be really problematic. You know, maybe there are kids in the mix, maybe your partner's really emotionally or psychologically or financially dependent on you down here in America. A lot of people are dependent on their partners for health care coverage, which is really immoral and obscene, but there it is. Um and sometimes people have to do what they need to do um to, to stay in that marriage. You know, there are cases where I give people permission to cheat where one person has said to the other, I'm not interested in having sex anymore, and I'm done, and Mm -hmm. I'm just not, you know, and it's over, the sexual aspect of a relationship. And I don't think one person has a right to unilaterally declare another person's sex life over, but they know their partner and they know they can't go to them and say, is it a right if I sleep with other people because their partner doesn't want to have sex but doesn't want them to have sex with anybody.
0: I agree with you, yeah.
1: And in those situations, sometimes you look and say, you know what? The loving thing to do here, the, less, the least worst option, is I'm going to get my needs met discreetly, and I'm going to be considerate about it, mm-hmm. and proportionate about it, so I can be there for my partner, and I'm going to work around their damage and insecurity, but I'm going to stay, but to stay, I'm going to need to go and take a lover or have some relief on business trips or wherever else I can take an opportunity
0: absolutely I have a largely female dominated uh, clinical practice and I do see a lot of women i would say upwards of 75 percent say if they never had sex again it would be too soon and they do they yeah. they terminate the sex life lives of their partners and and they actually think their partners aren't straying I don't agree with them but um or they they feel that their partners are very understanding and most of their partners i would say are men um so are
1: straying and the, but I found maybe i don't know if you found this a lot of people who say that, you know, I never want to have sex again for as long as I live, they get out of that marriage because they find that their partner cheated or their partner divorces them, and suddenly they're horny again.
0: Uh, absolutely. We <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we abortion. say that's the uh, antidote for uh, low sexual desire in a relationship is to find uh, somebody new.
1: Okay, but and that usually we say to people that you can't find somebody new until you break up until you divorce. That's the right thing to do. Right. To divorce. To end the marriage. Mm-hmm. To traumatize children if there are children in the mix. To rip apart two extended families that have come together—that that's the right thing to do. Right. The two of you staying <laughs> together and maybe taking lovers, uh, each of you on the side, or you know having some three ways or finding a way to like you know have some sexual adventures together that that, that fill you with passion for each other again. Oh, that's wrong. Right. It's wrong to take a lover. It's right to divorce.
0: Exactly. I, I
1: disagree. Yeah, yeah. I
0: disagree. Yeah, no, interesting interesting perspective. But a lot of people don't think that way. They're they're just I think they're so self absorbed and, and just thinking of themselves there and, and not understanding. I don't think women have been socialized around sexual desire and arousal and their bodies and understanding how, how things work, so they don't understand, you know, pleasure and, and especially when things go wrong. Um, and people have been lied to all their
1: lives. They've been told that if you're in love, you won't want to have sex with anybody else. And that if you're in love, you will still want to have sex with your partner after 10 or 20 years. And the, the, the bitter truth is, if you're in love and you make a monogamous commitment, you are still going to want to have sex with other people, but you're not going to because you made a monogamous commitment. And in 10 or 20 years, you may not want to have sex with your partner anymore, but you may love them still and love them very passionately. And people think that they're failing at love and they're failing at marriage because they don't want to have sex with partners after 20 years. And they're not that. That sort of waning of, uh, of sexual passion and is not a bug. It is a feature in that sort of long-term commitment. And so, how do we have our long-term commitments and our, you know, our successful quote-unquote marriages? Meaning, one of you died before you got divorced, and sexual passion too. How do you how do you navigate that? And I'm, you know, I come from gay land, and I'm here to say the way you navigate that is the occasional freeway. I've found. Um, there's a lot of research that shows spending time apart, having separate lives, actually strengthens a relationship. And, you know, Esther Perel, who wrote Mating uh, in Captivity, very smartly said that a lot of people find their partners more attractive when they see their partners through other people's eyes. When they're out at a party and somebody flirts with their partner, they then can recognize how attractive their partner is again.
0: That's absolutely you know? correct.
1: And they're aroused by their partner again because somebody else wants to get with their partner. And, you know, one, I'm sure you've seen this. One of the things that sort of comes out often after an infidelity is that suddenly the couple that wasn't having sex and then that, you know, that, that led to the infidelity, that couple starts having sex again in the wake of the infidelity. The partner who was not interested in sex, that drove their partner off to cheat, is suddenly interested in having sex with their partner again.
0: That's exactly so right, yeah.
1: Being cheated on. And if we could harness that in a, in a way where we're honest about it, and we say, you know what, if every once in a while you get an ad with somebody else, that's not necessarily gonna end our relationship and it might enhance our sexual relationship if you do it discreetly. And if we can make the distinction sorry, I'm ranting now. The distinction between uh, social monogamy and sexual monogamy, if you uphold social monogamy, which is you're going this is a couple who are perceived to be monogamous because you're not, you know, doing anything that might embarrass your partner, you're not sleeping with her friends or co-workers, it's not getting back to her, it's not scandalizing her relatives, you're upholding social monogamy. You might not be sexually monogamous, right. but you're socially monogamous. And upholding social monogamy is a real limit on your opportunity for sexual non-monogamy.
0: It certainly but does. It,
1: it it can really enhance your relationship and keep you into and interested in each other. You know, my husband and I, we've been together 20 years. Mm-hmm. And we're still crazy for each other we still we have sex all the time with each other, and I think one of the reasons that's true is because we sometimes have sex with other people too
0: right and I see that I see that with uh in my clinical practice where women who have strayed and they have stayed with their. Uh, husbands or partners, um, and they'll say it it actually increased the arousal. It actually, you know, I was more aroused by this new person, by this relationship, and I brought that back home into the bedroom, even if it Mm -hmm. was not exposed, even if the partner didn't find out about it, and they remained in their their marriages. I I wanted to write a book called Side Trip at the time. It just felt like these women took a side trip. Um, But you see these trends that occur, and, and people realize it when it happens to them. Yep. Yeah, I want to. Uh, if you don't mind staying on the line, Dan, I could talk to you all night long. Uh, <laughs> I might just dedicate the whole show to you anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, when I come back, I want to ask you, based on your 20 years as the quintessential advice columnist and given all the stories you've heard, what are the ingredients for a satisfying and safe sex life? I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm just a little bit excited tonight. I have uh, the. Guru of sex advice columnist Dan Savage on the line with me. I've asked him. I've asked him to stay a bit longer with me. Hello, Dan. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Good. Thanks so much. Thanks for all your information. I love all the practical, the practicalities, and the practical approaches, uh, and just you know, telling it like it is. Uh, I'm a huge fan of yours. Needless to say, Um, in case you'd like to come and co-host my show, it's an open invitation. Anytime. Uh, I'm trying my best here. Um, I'm always looking for an
1: excuse to come up to Vancouver for a weekend. Anytime. So, yeah, happy to
0: do it. That would be fantastic. All right. I'll, I'll put you up and everything. Bring the family, you know. <laughs> okay. I'm holding you to that. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's do it. All right. I've said that once or twice before in my life. Anyway, um, based on your 20 years as the quintessential advice columnist, given all the stories you've heard, I've heard a number of them, so you must have, and I'm a neophyte in this industry. What are the ingredients for a satisfying and safe sex life, which is, I think, so important and integral to a good quality of life?
1: Well, I'm here, you know, uh, sometimes satisfying isn't safe, and sometimes safe isn't satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, I, do, I do think risk uh, is a huge part of what turns people on. Uh, and different people, you know, there's uh, science out there that shows that some, that some people have higher desires for risk and people you know, risk-taking personalities. But I think what builds a, a sexually satisfying life is kind of radical sexual honesty, which is why I think a lot of people tap into my column and, you know, what I brought to it that was unique for straight people when I started writing it 25 years ago, 24 years ago, was that, you know, if you're gay, you're already being radically sexually honest. And if you're gay, you know, you told your parents that you give blowjobs
0: or you have sex with men
1: um, to then, you know, you have your first boyfriend to tell him that you you, know, you want to be tied up or you like want to pee on him or you want to do anything crazy. That's easy compared to telling your parents you're gay, being really honest with your boyfriend about who you want, who, what you want, who you are sexually, what trends you want is comparatively a breeze. Um, and I really think it's that kind of honesty that, that, that about who you are, about your desires, about what you want that is so important to, to finding someone with whom you're sexually compatible. If you want your committed long-term relationship to be sexually exclusive, if you want it to be sexually active, you have to find somebody with whom you're sexually compatible. That means you have to prioritize sex. And a lot of people feel like they can't prioritize sex because sex is not, shouldn't be that important. If you meet somebody and you get along with them and you like them and you want the same things out of life and you, you have a strong intimate bond, if the sex isn't working and you're not on the same page, you shouldn't break up for that reason because that's just sex. Well, if you don't break up for that reason when you, you know, you're a year into it, you will break up for that reason when you're 10 years or 15 years into it and you have a kid or, you know, a marriage to undo. Right. Um, sexual compatibility, particularly for you monogamists out there, particularly for people in sexually exclusive relationships, is hugely important.
0: I believe. And I agree with you. The research
1: that uh, that folks like uh, Lori Brodo uh, do really shows that being with someone different than you is important. And counterintuitive things, like your your romantic and sexual and long-term partner, relationship partner, life partner, should not be your best friend. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be that isolated. You need to get away from each other. You need to have different interests and pursuits. That person, if you want to be aroused by that personal life, needs to be eternally a kind of a mystery to you. Um, you know, I look at, you know, good example, my husband, uh-huh.
0: you know, we sometimes, sorry. Oh, you know, we're going to run out of time. we got to go to break right at 829. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. You know what? Hang on. We're going to finish that because I want to hear about you and your husband. Anyway, uh, I, I'm Maureen McGrath and I am just not letting Dan Savage go and you're listening to the CKW Sunday Night Sex Show. Okay. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKW Sunday Night Sex Show and I am honored to have Dan Savage. Yes. On the air with me, uh, he's the syndicated sex advice columnist, uh, host of Savage Lovecast, and he's going to be in Vancouver on October 4th. Dan? Hey. Hey, we, I cut you off there. You were just telling a quick little uh, story about your you and your husband.
1: Well, you know, a lot of the advice people get about marriage now is, you know, find somebody uh, that you have the same goals, ideals, you, you know, the same personality, and that person should be your best friend. And it's funny, sometimes Terry and I, when we're, you know, just being kind of honest with each other, we look at each other and go... You know, if we weren't lovers, if we weren't partners, married, we wouldn't be friends. We have so little in common uh, when it comes to interests, like he loves music and going to concerts and going to the symphony, and I like to read and not go to the concerts. And, not go to the symphony. <laughs> and there's people he enjoys that I don't enjoy and people I enjoy that he, don't, he, he doesn't. And so we spend, you know, some time apart. I see my friends, he sees his friends. Then so we come together and it's, you know, explosive. We have things to talk about. We right. have... Um, you know, we're still mysteries to each other. We're still trying to figure each other out. We're still trying to figure us out. And that isn't that what happens at the beginning of a relationship? You're trying to figure you this out. Trying to figure each other out. Trying to figure out whether you guys work as a couple. Um, and it's funny that 20 years into our marriage, we're still trying to figure that out. And I think that's one of the reasons we're still into each other.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. And there's going to be more. I'm going to have all my patients uh, sign up for the uh, the Lovecast live uh, next week. <laughs> They all need to go. They've been listening to me too long. No, but I fully agree with you. You're absolutely right. It's all about the mystique and the mysteriousness and, and, uh, you know, keeping it real uh, as well. So thank you so much. You're going to be at the Vogue Theatre next week. The tickets are at NorthwestPodcastFest.com. Dr. Laurie Brado is going to be there. I'm going to be there in the audience soaking up all the information. And you're going to co-host my show one night.
1: I would love to. I would love to. I'm going to take you off on that invitation.
0: Oh, definitely. That's fantastic. All right. So, well, thank you so much for joining me. To just great information. I just, uh, I'm a huge fan, and we'll be stalking you in Seattle very shortly. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. All right, take care. Say hi to Terry. All right, bye now. Okay. Woo. I'm a little hot now. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I love talking about sex. I love learning about relationships and sexuality, and I just think it's so important in life. And um, it's just, you know, it's what we're all about. And sometimes we're so afraid of it, and sometimes our things just communication. Plays a role and your self esteem plays a role. There's just so much that gets in the way and uh, there's so much misinformation out there. Uh, but so, unfortunately, uh, I work with some of the most fabulous physicians and medical colleagues that uh, this planet has to offer. And one of them happens to be Dr. Anjali Malhotra and she joins me on the line. Dr. Malhotra, how are you? Hi, Maureen. I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Now, speaking of sex, we did touch a little bit upon contraception. I don't know if you heard. Uh, Dan Savage on the line earlier. Oh, um, I love Dan Savage. Yeah. <laughs> me too. He's mine, okay? okay. Well, <laughs> he's going He's going to go who doesn't love him? Like <laughs> You can give me a call if you have any questions. I'm sorry I didn't open the lines for Dan Savage. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I want I hoarded him. Anyway, <laughs> But you can call six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight or star nine eight nine eight on your cell, or you can email me as you do at sexdoc at cknw.com dot com. If you have any questions for the doctor, Doctor Um So World Contraception Day was on September twenty sixth, and sometimes we're having sex and we don't want to get pregnant, and so it's really important that uh, we <laughs> we take contraception uh, quite seriously. Would you say absolutely? And
2: can you imagine we have a whole day to celebrate contraception? It's one hundred years old now since birth control was coined as a term. A
0: hundred so, years old? A hundred years wow, ago. Wow, wow. Yeah. But they used I to see. stuff seaweed up there or something, didn't they? <laughs> I, maybe, Maureen. Maybe they still do some places. <laughs> I think they did where I'm from in New England. <laughs> On the beach, uh, anyway. Possible. Yeah, I'm, I've lost it. All right. Anyway, I can't. I haven't gotten over dance Savage yet. But go. <laughs> I, can I can feel the heat. I can feel the heat. Woo! All right. Anyway, um, I just like people who are honest and real and practical and tell it like it is. They're they're my favorite kind of people. But you know, well, you're, I'm always trying to figure out people, right? Absolutely. Anyway, okay. So contraception. Well, Let's contraception. get back to there's a number of different uh, contraception. Uh, there are. Options. You know,
2: it's uh, it's come a long way. So we used to think, oh, we have just a few options. But really, as we head into the future, there is an option really for everyone. And when we think about things like, for example, the choice study, which showed if there were no barriers to access to service, like cost and education, that people would choose methods that were easy for them, that suited their lifestyle. Things like long acting reversible contraception did fantastic in a study like that. Um, something like an IUD, like JADIS, the new um, progesterone-releasing IUD that's three years and small and for women who haven't had kids, mm-hmm. or the Mirena that's been around for a long time and trolls bleeding. Um, those were the most popular choices when there was no reason not to give the methods or that there were no barriers to the methods. And then, you know, we just have to keep looking forward to what else can we offer people that, that are going to suit their lifestyle.
0: What? So... Well, what lies ahead, (laughs) no pun intended, intended. is for uh, contraception for men. So men to take responsibility for the contraception. Finally, I have Trish on the line. Uh, Hello, Trish. Hi,
2: we met earlier this week, and um, you actually introduced me to my very first uh,
0: vibrator. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) You just showed me. Was that the Um, lipstick one that I showed you? Yes. Yes, I believe you said you'd never seen a vibrator, and I just pulled (laughs) that one out of my handbag and said, here, isn't this beautiful? It was (laughs) silver lipstick. The (laughs) only thing that would be better is if it actually had lipstick on it, too, so it'd be doing double duty. But anyway, nonetheless, (laughs) I digress. Yes? Yes. so actually,
2: I have two questions mm-hmm. quickly. Um, one is what do you recommend if the patient has no first line um, kind of well, no idea what oral contraceptive she wants to use so what would uh, what would the doctor like to recommend? Uh, first line in terms of oral contraceptive. And um, also, I've heard mixed reviews now coming out with the Depot shot because there was so much hassle given for the longest time with respect to osteoporosis. What is her feelings about that?
0: Dr. Mahota? Okay.
2: So for the first question, as far as which method someone wants to use, when someone comes in for me, for my, in my clinic and doesn't have any idea about what they want to use, we go through all of the options and we read through what's medically appropriate for the patient, so if there are any contraindications. And once we whittled it down to a few, we go by a side effect profile and which one will suit them best. So I don't have a favorite it's really different and individualized. And so it's really a process to go through in a counseling session. So I recommend that if it's you or whoever you're representing that they see or you see someone who does a lot of contraception to really find the right one so you're not moving back and forth from option to option and making sure that the the pill is the right choice for you Um, because there are just so many options available now and there's really something for everyone. And hopefully you'd be on one that you were happy with long term. Um, As far as the depot data goes, there is a push forward to try to remove the black box warning. That's that warning that you see on product monographs about what could go wrong with this this method. And there is a thought to remove the uh, osteoporosis warning because you lose a similar amount of bone when you're pregnant or postpartum and breastfeeding. And so, you know, we don't restrict the number of babies people have. We just recommend taking vitamin D, staying healthy, having healthy eating habits, being cautious if there are other things going on in someone's life, like thyroid disease or smoking or family history, and really managing more individualized care versus putting a warning on for everyone. When it comes to DEPO in my practice, if someone's really happy on it, we have a discussion about it, and more than likely, I would keep them on the method they're happy on.
0: Oh, Great. All right, well Tris, thanks for your questions. Those are great questions. And and do hang on because in a little bit I'm gonna be talking about vibrator dependency. I got a little email about <laughs> I got a little email about how I had many vibrators. Call in forever. I bet you it's all
2: those those girls you told you were giving away the free uh
0: Exactly. The <laughs> Absolutely. All right, thanks so much. No uh, all right, Dr. Malhotra, we heard what Dan Savage had to say about men uh, taking responsibility for uh, contraception. What do you, How do you feel men are going to feel about that, and how is that going to affect their sexual desire?
2: Well, you know, Maureen, when it comes to contraception in my world, I really feel the more options, the better. Mm-hmm. I like to have a big tickle trunk full of a buffet of options, and I like it whether it's the man or the woman to take responsibility. Whoever is going to actually take the responsibility and actually take that on, I'm happy. So if there's another option and it happens to be the right one for that couple, perfect. So, you know, I'm open to any option coming
0: into my realm. It's going to be a big sociological shift, though, uh, to put it it on the men.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I was reading an article earlier that said around 25% of people have responded to most surveys saying that they would take responsibility in the relationship. But, you know, as time goes by, I would hope that it, it would equalize that it's both people that are taking part in the situation, and both people should be responsible.
0: It will never be equal. Unfortunately, I'm an optimist, but I hate to say (laughs) life is... Right, no I'm not being on it's never going to be equal for men and women. I'm sorry. That's well, just not the way, not way it is. We're pregnant. Yeah, right? we're making 78 cents on there every dollar and working twice as hard. Anyway, that's, that's all my two bits. Thank you so much, Dr. Malhotra. <laughs> it's my pleasure. All right, take care. <laughs> so well, have a great night. When I come back, I'm going to answer that email about vibrator dependency. Have you ever had that? Or how about chronic dating fatigue i'm maureen mcgrath you are listening to the cknw sunday night sex show welcome back i'm maureen mcgrath you're listening to the cknw sunday night sex show one of my favorite subjects and i hope you're interested in it too uh anyway i just wanted to answer an email that i got yes in the last couple of weeks i've been giving out vibrators and i've certainly people have been answering the call and picking them up which i'm glad to hear um but today, I'm sorry, I didn't get to uh, getting any, so I don't have any to give out today. But next week, I will. Um, so, dear Maureen, I've noticed that you've been giving out vibrators on the air these last couple of weeks. It's great, but it made me wonder if a girl could become vibrator-dependent. I mean, with the paucity of dateable men in Vancouver leaving the setting on, who needs a man, or worse, actually chipping a tooth with your buzzing friend, could signal trouble ahead. Is there a self-help group for such things? I can see it now. I just joined vibrator-dependent. Hello, my name is Jane, and I am a vibrator-aholic. Anyway, doubting Debbie, what do you think? Well, you know, Debbie, it's doubtful that uh, you can become dependent upon a vibrator, although I can see where somebody might think that, especially if there's no one in your life, nor the person. And it's much easier for women to climax giving that buzzing device with high-speed settings, as you mentioned, uh, you know, putting it on the I-need-a-man setting or... um, uh, some of the other settings, and some of them come with 18 different uh, settings and different uh, types of settings as well. Um, you know, but I want you to keep in mind that um, it's really important for some people. Some people need to depend on on vibrators. People with neurological injury, for example, like MS or spinal cord injury, especially uh, female spinal cord injury, or and or male. Uh, need to become vibrator dependent because of the disruption in the nerves to the genital area. So, um, but for the able-bodied uh, people, um, you know, it's it's perhaps thought to be a bit of a risk, but you can always go back to it, The um, the way to find out if you're uh, Vibrator dependent or not, or the way to, to treat it, because I always like a little prescription uh, for this, is to you know hang up the power tool and get back to the handy dandy masturbation. Um, so you can either remaster the technique yourself, that which you learned when you were an adolescent, um, or if somebody does enter your life um, and you are aroused by that particular person, then uh, likely you will come again um, in in uh, the more old fashioned way, shall we say. Um, but communication is key. Uh, climax is always better with a bit of instruction and that's why I say know thyself. It's really important. Um, So it's a great question but it's also we need to consider all of the different medical conditions and I do treat a lot of patients who have uh, rheumatoid arthritis, neurological conditions, Parkinson's disease and you know sex never stops. Uh, A lot of people think that when people get to a particular age then they don't want to have sex anymore but that just simply is not true. I mean you can have 40 year old women who will say if I never have sex again it'll be too soon or you, But you can have 85-year-old women who cannot, as I've heard from patients, cannot keep their hands off this particular man or woman uh, that they may have met at that time of, of their life. So the important thing is to remain sexual and to know yourself and understand yourself and realize the importance of it in terms of pain management, in terms of sleep, and just in terms of, of simple pleasure. Um, it is one of the best things for for pleasure. Um, Which leads me to the next subject, which is chronic dating or chronic dating fatigue. Online dating uh, is very popular today. You engage with somebody that, that's very arousing to engage with somebody. Um, You know, and remember, it's the longing that is the fuel for the sexual desire for men and for women. Um, And so that's very, I mean, people can have a smorgasbord of people out there, of, of other men or other women or whatever floats your boat. Um, and then it can go back and forth. And then all of a sudden, kaput, nothing vanished as quickly as virtual unreality. Um, so if you find yourself on the computer searching one virtual person after another, are you engaged in conversation with one person after another and you never meet any of these people? Um, do your wrists hurt? Those can be, That can be another uh, sign or symptom of uh, chronic dating fatigue. Uh, Has the texting in pursuit of that elusive, long-lasting love or simple lust gotten gotten out of control? Is it all you do? Do you not get out of your pajamas? Do you hear yourself say, hi, I'm Jane, and I am a chronic dater? Um, Between Mr. Suave, Mr. Norm at night, Mr. Trust me, I practice law and more, and Mr. Getting right down to all business, do you find it difficult to do anything other than text all day long? Do you get nauseous hearing that bell on your cell that signifies yet another message? You may have chronic dating fatigue, especially if you have wrist pain like carpal tunnel syndrome. And automatically think of that hot guy you've been communicating with or that sexy woman. Anyway, that is one way, guys, to get her thinking about you if you have two or more of these symptoms. Anyway, um, so this is one of the latest of Ales that is associated with online dating because when you think about it, there are so many people that, you know, this one you may like, but you don't really take that much time to get to know them or uh, there can be a whole host of other people uh, behind um, that person waiting in that inbox. Um, so, you you know, time to uh, dust off the closet full of date-worthy clothing and uh, repeated uh, thoughts of how bad it would really be if if you never met anybody because that's what these chronic daters feel like. They're never actually going to meet anybody. So, again, I like a diagnosis and a prescription. Um, and so the treatment for online dating fatigue, like, like any other, uh, treatment for any other disorder uh, involves the mind. I think the mind is really powerful and and is what dictates uh, a lot of the rest of our lives. If we are very mindful and we utilize that um, to set boundaries and set limits and also have some self-respect. Um, and so if you're communicating with anyone at, online as of today, you know, tell them like it should be and the game. Uh, you know, ask them to ask you out or to move on is, is one option. I mean, you, if, if that's what you want, if you don't want that, that's absolutely fine as well. The other thing is, which is, you know, going to be really novel is to get out and meet real live people. The heck with the chimerical ones, flesh and blood, baby, get real and go out there and meet some warm blooded, hot blooded, uh, people who you may have just, just have a hookup with, or you may, uh, have a, end up in a longer term relationship or just go out and to actually do something. Um, so, You know, those are just some of the things that can happen, um, with all of the instant world that we're living in today. Don't forget that not is all perfect. And if you find yourself getting a little bit down, a little bit depressed, not going out, not getting out of your pajamas, really obsessed with your text message, then, you know, it might be time to make a few changes. Anyway, that's my, uh, thoughts on, uh, vibrator dependency and, uh, chronic dating fatigue. Anyway, I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Okay, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me on this hot Sunday night. Well, it's hot in here anyway. Um, I'm Maureen McGrath. Listen, next week on the program, I'm not going to forget about you guys, especially you Mr. Softies out there. I'm going to review some of the things that can actually lead to uh, erectile dysfunction, uh, softening things over the years. I am going to eventually get to female ejaculation, which, yes, can be taught. Uh, And, yes, every woman is capable of that, so we'll get to that. I keep promising that every single week, right? Typically, I don't deliver. Anyway, but uh, we're coming to the end of the program, and I just wanted to mention uh, an event that I'm going to be speaking at on October 11th, um, as you know, raising awareness about violence against women is a subject near and dear to my heart, given my experience with that. And um, unfortunately, the unspeakable happened here in Surrey. Uh, a high-risk offender has been charged with the murder of a young girl in Surrey. And today was the service in Surrey for the young Serena Vermesh. And 19-year-old girl, uh, a, a ceremony was held as well in her honor, Maple Batalia, uh, 19 years of age, who died A couple of years ago as well and um, on the line is Navi Gill. She's the co-founder of Global Girl Power and um, she is uh, on October 11th. She's co-hosting an event in honor of International Day of the Girl. Hello Navi hi how are you very well thanks thanks for joining me listen um, this is a great event that you're putting together um, to raise awareness about violence against girls and women uh... i'm there to support you we are stronger together tell me what is your inspiration uh... for putting this event on and and what drives you in terms of uh... changing this societal malignancy
3: Ah, uh, well Maureen, for us international day of the girl which is also our second anniversary and global girl power actually started in my living room just because of this. We felt like so many things were happening, especially in our local community here where women were being hurt and women were being taken advantage of but nothing was really done much about it except for uh, being hyped in the media and Our thing was how can we empower women and girls to not just be fearful of being out on the streets, but how can we as a society change our mindset around what's happening with women and girls, create more awareness and come together to create change instead of just um, staying inside our homes and feeling like we're victims of something.
0: Absolutely. And empowering girls and women is is so important. And that's something that I strive to do every single day in my clinical practice or on the air or the presentations that I give. And and it's um, a great uh, event you're having. It's going to be on October 11th. We're going to be running out of time very shortly. I'm going to have you back next week to talk a bit more about it. But it's October 11th. And where is it being held?
3: Yes, it's going to be held at Kwantlen Polytechnic University at the Surrey Campus. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get all the information on the event on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash globalgirlpower. The tickets are going to be $10, and they are actually going to be contributing towards our clean water project, where we have a local youth ambassador for our um, charity, and she's going to be raising funds to build a clean water resource for women in India.
0: That's Fantastic. So,
3: Yeah, so you're not only coming together as a community to create solutions locally, but we're also using the funds to do something
0: globally. And that's what we have to do. Women have to stand up and speak out and continue the work and stay stronger together because we are stronger when we're together. Thank you so much, Navi. Absolutely. I'll be there. I look forward to that. It's going to be lots of great presentations. A lot of uh, great, strong women are going to be talking that day. Anyway, uh, once again, that that hour of sex went by really rapidly. Anyhow, some people think it lasts too long. But anyway, uh, sex, that is, not the show. Um, uh, you can go to my website, www.backtothebedroom.ca. Follow me on Twitter at back the number two, The Bedroom, when 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 you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show.